Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 283. My name is Brando, and with me is sometimes... What's going on, my, my dear friend, Ian? Hey, how's everything going? It's good to be back. I feel like um, we, we do this about once a year. I got to come on for Steel Panther. More recently, we did uh, Donnie V. And when I heard George Lynch, of course, I jumped at the opportunity. But I'm, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm happy to hear it. I always, when I refer to you on the podcast, I always say uh, former co-host, current friend, you know, of course. Ian Scotto. And for those who don't know, Ian was, this is, he was, I, I guess the catalyst to it all, the one who texted me. So what do you think about doing a Guns N' Roses podcast? And my response was, that's, that's a stupid idea. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you know, you departed after episode 39 because you have other ventures, which we'll, we'll get into after our interview with George Lynch. But obviously I've continued, but whenever there's an opportunity to bring you on, bring your expertise on, uh, I, I, I think fondly of the episode where, you called in from South Dakota, right, to go see Dokken? Yeah, that's right. And I'm wearing the shirt. Yeah. Yeah. When we thought it was like the the one time they would ever do it. And they, they've done it since. But, yeah, but I, I and maybe we'll get into it with George. That was the last time the original lineup played in America. And I think it will be the last time ever because um, Mick Brown, their drummer, I believe, is like not in good health to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you saw something very special, definitely, uh, at the time. So I wanted to bring you back on. And also, I missed you. I, I appreciate you. If you're watching on Zoom, you you made your bed. It looks very nice. <laughs> um, I th- And we're going to talk to him, of course, about Dokken, about uh, Guns N' Roses, the whatever opinion he may have, Six Degrees of GNR Bacon. But um, I think you, you, you've, I don't know how much you've listened to it, because I sent you the the sneak peek. Uh, that we got of his new solo record, Seamless, which comes out August uh, 20th. And there's a new song out now, uh, Death by a Thousand Licks. And are you an, an instrumental fan? You know, are you, because uh, obviously it's just an instrumental album, you know, not more than just guitar, but there's no vocals. Uh, have you seen like instrumental in concert? I did with Buckethead. Have you ever seen an instrumental artist? Yeah, I've seen Buckethead a bunch of times and what I saw, which was really cool. I saw two shows of that Generation X tour, which was oh, right. Steve Vai, Zach Wild, Nuno Betancourt. Um, there, there was a few others on there, too, that, that I'm probably forgetting. But uh, oh, and of course, Ingve Malmsteen okay. um, and the guy That's from sick. Animals as Leaders. But yeah, that, I saw two shows of that. Excellent. So, yeah, I love that stuff. It's sick. It's a great album, just aggressive. And there are times, especially on the, on the road trip, I was just uh, on. I would have preferred that, but I, I was I was forced to listen to like these. Dave uh, Matthews. Murder- <laughs> yeah, that was part of Dave Matthews. But it was a lot of like crime, uh, real life crime podcasts. And when you're in just like remote locations, I still want to hear about random murders. And this is coming from somebody <laughs> who loves horror. But that's like in the 
you know, I'm in my own home or in a theater. I'm not in a random park about, you know, around people who could potentially kill me. Uh, so that was that was interesting. So um, anyway, we're going to get uh, George Lynch on in just a moment. That's going to be the best. OK, no, I hit recording in progress. I'm taking your but <laughs> I want yeah, to be- shit. And then you, you will sit there for another four hours and it'll be crap. And I go, you should have got the first thing I played. That was. No, right. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many times that's happened. I'm sure it's happened. It happens to everybody. It's like it's like you play something in the studio and you're like, fuck, that was, you know, you're exhausted and you've just poured your heart out and everything. And it was technically it was great and was inspired. And you look and then it gets done, you know, passes over and you look at the engineer and he's like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I go, that's cool. Can I hear that back? He goes, oh, I wasn't recording. You want to record this? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I've, Dude, I've had that, that happen with like, shows. So Rando yeah. and I recorded a whole show with one of the members of Velvet Revolver that got deleted somehow, you know, unfortunately. It's not a good feeling. No, it's not. So that's why oh. George, I'm going to take your advice uh, and, and just press record, just get into it no matter, you know, I don't know. I just wanted to be just in case if you needed to get situated in your chair. But uh, no, thank you, George. Uh, yeah, George. but the magic already happened, so you already missed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, George, thanks. thank you for, for joining us. And uh, do you always have a guitar in your hand? Is that what you do when you brush your teeth and, and maybe shower? Do you have to put like a, maybe a shower cap on the, the neck of the guitar? Is Either a guitar, always- or a guitar or that other thing. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't want to see that believe <laughs> no, not that kind of show not just not yet not yet and i like how we and you'll, you'll notice my segue it's a seamless transition into a conversation with you so uh, how long did you work on yeah you like that how did you long did you work on your your upcoming solo record seamless uh coming out august uh 20th how long was uh, well it was done in a in a fragmented way because i i uh, originally wrote it wrote the music without all the soloing and everything uh, uh, with the intention of it being a lynch mob record. It didn't work out and I ended up instrumentalizing it at a later date. So it was done in kind of in two chunks of time. Uh, the amount of time I actually spent on it because um, it was sort of fragmented. I can't really remember because it's been a, a second. Um, you know, generally records these days, I, I take about maybe a couple, three weeks to write and record. Wow. Relatively quick, yeah. So and, then, and- well, I guess this is my my always my my thought about when for instrumental albums because obviously when, it, when it's a band, it's like oh, you ask what comes first, the lyrics and the melody. What comes first for you? You know, how do you like? Do you think of because you have some obviously some really fun uh, album uh, song titles rather. So like, cause let's say sharks with laser beams. You Best know, title. Do you think of that first and then you get inspired or do you like, how does it, how does the song come about for an instrumental record? Yeah. I think, well, what is the, what is the, uh, the motivation and, the, and conceptually, what is the song going to be? So I, I was thinking, okay, I was watching uh, Sharknado and then there's like, you know, 12 different sequels, you know, so I watch all of those a lot and they're really good movies. <laughs> You know, the acting's good, the screenwriting's good, the production value's good, it's not corny. Yeah. And I'm just kidding. I didn't really, I just named, I just, you know, I was done with the whole record. I, I just, you know, was having fun with titles. That's really all I was doing. Because, you know, I mean, when we're kidding around all the time, we're sitting around in the studio or, or whatever, 
and we're, we, we, you know, we're joking around half the time about stuff and, and we'll come up with silly names about, you know, for songs. Of course, we can't really use them because you can't sing sharks with laser beams you know, <laughs> in a good chorus. And so, uh, but with instrumental record, you can call it anything. So you said Sharknado. I assume the title was inspired by Austin Powers because, you know, sharks with freaking laser beams, what that right, well, that, says. Yeah, I think, I think. I think I probably forgot where I was plagiarizing it from, but you're right. That's what <laughs> shark week. There's, there's sharks everywhere. So I guess then what now? Everybody loves sharks. Those shark shows are real popular. So I figured yeah. that would spill over into the song and maybe one of these shark shows will pick it up and use it as a, like a theme song or something. That's a good idea. I think that should happen. All right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if you're you not work on that. Uh, I would, I would pay you a commission. Okay. I'll put it out to my, to my people. The what yeah, shark people. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell my 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 cats who I'm hanging out with right now. That's those yeah. are my people. So then, I guess what motivates uh, I guess the the song path, the solo path. You know what? You made- could make a bunch of money if you did that. Oh, I know. No, but make a get it. It's like a shark pun. That was very- Never mind. <laughs> I was. Like, Never mind. I'm sorry. Go I, got, I got it. That was. Uh- yeah, I just thought of that. All right, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of a that, that was a hammerhead of a joke. No, no, I, I can't. Whoa, 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 that was good. I was thinking of a great white pun, but I just couldn't. So was I. Yeah, you, I don't know if you could see the smoke coming out of my ears. My my brain was burning trying to be as clever as you. Are you so, a pun guy? So I try to be. Yeah, I try yeah. To be. Aren't we all? Aren't we Dad all? jokes. You know, I, I, I like it. Good, yeah. my, my beard is, I, I, I do have gray hairs. Not quite up to you. But I do have dad. I do like my dad jokes. Yeah, it's uh, not a contest, by the way. Uh, I, I, everything's a contest. What do I win? What do we, my, my love and affection, my, my admiration. If I think about it, you got that a lot. Go, let's go back to before we continue with the new album, uh, what we were talking about before I decided to press record. Do you get people jealous of, uh, you know, our fellow rockers of your, your dome, your, your beautiful head of hair? Like that I'm jealous of, too. Because you have a great beard. Because not everyone, like, they, they might grow a beard and it looks all patchy. You have a great beard. I get complimented on my beard. Do you get complimented on your hair? Because you don't have to give it any names. Because there are people, uh, you know, in the classic rock world who are hiding it, holding on. I did for a while, so no judgment. I was hiding it for a while. But now people know I'm bald. So, well, I mean, I, you know... <laughs> You know, being in a, a legacy rock band with with older cats like myself, and we're all driving around the country, and we're we're talking and shooting the shit all the time. Invariably, the the, the subject of baldness and and hair replacement and all that kind of stuff comes up, and that's really was like the the passion subject um, most of the time on the road. See? It was crazy. You know, it used to be chicks and drugs and fucking rock and roll and. You know, I love talking gear. That's all I want to talk about is gear, gear, gear. Nobody wants to listen to me. But everybody else is just hair because they all have these hair issues. Uh, you know, it's plugs, it's just laser, it's stem cell. I'm this guy, that guy. I'm going to try this. So how much does it cost? And what about this stuff I spray in my head? And what about that? And who, what does McMars do? And what is who does what does Don Dawkins do? And on, on and on. And I was like, who fucking cares? Because really. Uh, 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 hair loss is due to the aromatization of, of, of male hormones, partly, I guess. So um, what it what it's an indication of a sign of is, is virility when you go bald. So that's a thing that actually you should be proud of. Mm. So I, what does that say about me? 
<laughs> you know, so, you know, you guys are a bunch of fucking barrel studs complaining about hair. No, no, be, you know, wave that flat, you know, be proud of your, your baldness, I guess. I don't know. I, you, I am. You know what? I, I actually wanted to transition, though, from the, the talking about hair to the hairband thing, because, you know, what's interesting to me, especially with this being a Guns N' Roses podcast, is that when Guns N' Roses especially made uh, the Use Your Illusions albums, people said, wow, this band is talking about real stuff. But the thing is, Dokken often gets grouped in with these bands of the 80s when you guys were always writing songs about real stuff. The fact is like Lost Behind the Wall being about drug addiction or, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of like other songs, you know, Will the Sunrise being about all the wars going on in the world. Uh, uh, the Kiss of Death being about the AIDS epidemic. You guys were a band who always wrote about real shit. Yeah, and I got to give Don credit. For, for that because um you know the lyrics that i was involved in and the subject matter i was involved in was usually pretty silly and cartoonish <laughs> you know it was just kind of in the moment of the 80s you know flaccid superficiality and, and that's kind of where i was living with lyrically at that time uh, you know tooth and nail and when heaven comes down, unchain the night. Things that mean nothing. All, all great songs, though. All great songs. Well, instrumentally, I think they were cool compositions, but and they had good melodies. But lyrical content, a little bit suspect. I mean, what happens when you unchain the night? Oh my God! You, know? <laughs> you just got lucky. I mean, that's something. You know, Dean Martin in Vegas and Rat Pack, and you know, just got lucky. Hey, you know, it's like, what is that? Maybe it's cool. I don't know. Wow. I guess I love how city you are. You're so real and so humble. I love that. I think that, yeah, that well, it's this thing that uh, I'm patenting. It's called false humility. Hmm. And I'm really, um, I like to brag about my humility is what it is. <laughs> yeah. I got that. I got that. Right. Okay. So then if you're not now, if you're not writing lyrics that could potentially be silly or anything, I guess what guides you to go back to my original question, what guides a song, an instrumental song? You know, we're, we already spoke about titles, but what guides, you know, what makes, I think, Seven Minutes to You and what makes the single out now, Death by a Thousand Licks, about, you know, three minutes. Like, what guides that? If it's not lyrics, what is it? Well, so I, I, majority of the music that I've, that I've written or been involved in writing is, uh, comes from a guitar-centric place. It's just me sitting here coming up with a riff or have a beat in my head, you know, or, or a rhythm in my head. And then I have a riff that goes to that or something. And it just, just comes out of nowhere, whatever it's inspired. And I just build on that riff. And I build more parts that are from a guitar standpoint are related to that and, and melodically and harmonically related in some way, you know, that I can imagine. So anyways, and I'm thinking, I think almost on, uh, maybe semi-consciously about, the potential melody. So that's why I think my writing works for singers is because, and they've, they've, singers have told me this, they go, when I hear what you write, it's like, you know, you're leaving this open and you're, and you're for, for a melody and you're implying a melody, hmm. uh, which I think I do sort of, like I said, semi-consciously, uh, because I'm not really a singer singer in my head. I'm Aretha Franklin, but <laughs> when I open my mouth, of course, that doesn't, that doesn't happen. But so, uh, but having said that, uh, 
I have been involved in records that I was very motivated from a very deep place to um, convey a message. And that would be Shadow Train, for instance. Uh, and to a lesser extent, uh, my first solo record, which was not an entirely instrumental record, it was just partially instrumental, which was called Sacred Groove. I had some, uh, I had some hand in, in some of the vocals on that one. And, and subject matter being, you know, things that were important to me, you know, the environment, um, you know, political stuff, uh, you know, uh, Native American issues, uh, uh, human issues, just in general, you know, um, things that people really don't want to hear their 80s legacy rock guy, hair rock guys talk about <laughs> or address. And it really runs counter to what I'm kind of known for. And so it's, it does, it's not really a good fit. You know, I'm not Tom Morello uh, as far as pe people's perception of me. Um, so I'm not really a good vehicle for the, that kind of messaging, but it's, so it's frustrating for me, but that's the things I care about that I tend to write about in lyrics um, don't really come across in, you know, when it's delivered by the docking guy. <laughs> I, I think people have really been waiting since the eighties though, for this album, for an instrumental album from you though, uh, mm -hmm. especially Mr. Scary people still listen to that song again and again. And, and when I got to see you at that South Dakota show, which the last U S show at the original band and you know, you perform that three times to get it perfect for the DVD and, and CD. Uh, but I, I think so many fans like myself have said, man, I want to hear a whole CD of Mr. Scary. Well, yeah, I mean, and, uh, and I'll, I'll just say that actually on this record, Seamless, I did write all the lyrics. Because <laughs> there are none, yeah. <laughs> no, there are some. Okay, there are, all right. I thought it was 100% instrumental. Uh, there's one chorus, and I can't remember the name of the song, where I'm singing, ah... <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's pretty loud it's in there you can tell it's me and i wrote those words and everything it meant nice. yeah. you're absolutely right and before um, i lose technically it because, uh, all lyrics <laughs> written by george lynch and and i'm doing all the vocals on there too on the whole album no argument for me no <laughs> argument see you in court my friend <laughs> we, we cheat him in hell uh, since you want to talk here and I wish I could be cool enough to be a musician, I got plenty of questions from listeners for you. Uh, this is from, uh, John Bryan, who I believe is from Florida. Uh, he says for somebody with so many guitars, like the one in your hand, uh, how does he decide which guitars to take out on the road to use or to record with? Well, uh, gear is a huge motivate motivator for me. So I'm constantly tone questing and I have this circle of friends that, and that's all we do is we're on reverb and eBay and, you know, discussing gear and, you know, trading gear and buying gear and stuff. And so the gear, the, the tone gear chasing thing for me is like everything, you know, it really drives and maintains my enthusiasm uh, for everything else I do musically, you know? So um, it's, it's this kind of elusive, you know, you know, chasing the dragon thing. Okay. So, I, I have to follow up with that with something because, you know, we're talking about the gear thing and I don't think I've heard you comment on it. I mean, the ultimate gear guy was Eddie Van Halen. What, what was your reaction to that, um, you know, incredible loss? Yeah, that, 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 that hit me personally very hard and, and, and every, you know, every guitar player I know, 
pretty much uh, kind of felt the same way that was, you know, we, as we get older, obviously, you know, we're seeing people go away and pass and, and that's just you know, normal, of course, but, uh, and we've seen a lot of that. And so that's pretty profound, but, you know, I mean, freaking David Bowie and, you know, I mean, all these George Michaels and all these people, Prince, these giants, Tom Petty's like, what? All at once, it seemed like, you know, and, but Eddie was on another level because um, obviously, you know, we're a little closer as far as what we do. And we kind of came up through the same, in the same place at the same time and had some connections and all that. So that's why it was more profound, I think. And, and I learned a lot from him and I based a lot of my style on him, you know, even though we were compatriots in a way, um, he was way beyond me. So I, I lifted a lot of stuff from him and got, you know, inspired from him as we all did. So, yeah, and as a, he's, you know, he's a Southern California guy and, and we were like kind of neighbors and played the same clubs and played on the same stages together and hung out, and did monsters of rock and shared licks and, you know, everything. So yeah, that was, that was a pretty tough one. Yeah. It hits close to home too. I think for us, when we, when our friends and stuff start disappearing because, you know, just get into a lonelier place after that. You know? Yeah. Any um, any fun stories, perhaps you might share with Eddie that might display maybe the fun side of his personality, or you know, any any I guess a fun EVH story that you might have that you wouldn't mind sharing. Well, he was just incredibly shy, and I, I don't think that I don't know if it's a fun story, but he was, um, you know, he was just a super introvert. Um, I mean, all the guy did was just sit in his room and play guitar his whole life, you know, and drink, drink and drink his beers and smoke his cigarettes and, and develop what he developed, you know, it changed the guitar world. So, uh, you know, he, he, I think he was just sort of burdened with this whole, you know, the fame thing and being a human being in a complicated world. <laughs> it isn't always so nice. You know, he's a super sensitive guy, which allowed him to be this incredible musician. You have to have that sort of sympathy, sympathy and empathy. And uh, so a lot of people thought he wasn't that that nice of a person, but it was just because he was really quiet. You know, he was kind of a little bit scared, you know, but but he spoke so beautifully through his instrument. You know, um, but we had a you know we had moments you know we, we used to hang out uh monsters of rock we'd go every almost every night um when valerie wasn't out and we'd jam you know we'd just sit in our hotel room and just play guitar all night it was pretty pretty awesome and and actually i had some issues with my gear out there um on the monsters tour and uh and and they were the headliner obviously and and he was so sweet because he's like hey man take anything you want of mine so I did half that tour with his gear. Nice. <laughs> and that's pretty insane because headliners usually don't do stuff like that. You know, they're usually, you know, hey, that's your problem. Figure it out, you know, which is fair. But he was very sweet. You know, he just, hey, anything you want, heads, cabinets. And I used his rig for like half that tour. That's pretty sweet. Cool. Thank you for sharing. He gave, he gave my son a guitar lesson. Uh, my, my kid was uh, going to he went to GIT and he just wanted to be a guitar player like his dad. And uh, I was, uh, I took him to meet Eddie at a show and Eddie's like, you know what? I'm going to show you your guitar player. Let me show you. So they went back in the warm up room and gave my son a little lesson or anything. That was pretty cool. Who does that? 
<laughs> Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, the the personality trait, just I couldn't help but think of, and I don't know if you can uh, add to this, but it reminds me of, I guess, of how Axl Rose is perceived. So this is actually a follow-up question from uh, John Bryan in, uh, from Florida. Uh, what did you think about when Appetite came out? Or were you even aware because Dokken was so busy touring and working um, at that time, 1987? Well, the, the, the... Well, I mean, obviously it was a monster, uh, you know, record that was just a paradigm shift in rock and roll. But um, but the connection, being a gear guy, again, to go back to that, my perspective on it was I was more interested in what Slash was using in the studio, which was the same amp that I used on Back for the Attack, which was this amp that we both rented from SIR, Studio Instrument Rentals in Hollywood, which is on their, you know, in their warehouse and uh we both wanted to buy it and i don't know what happened to that amp but it was a jcm 800 and it sounded incredible and i was like oh i need to own this thing and they went we don't sell our equipment we just rent it and then slash rented it i guess i don't know because he rented it because i because he knew i used it or if he just rented it, it was just a you know happy accident but either way we both ended up using it on our biggest records and uh so that amp is out there floating around somewhere. So that that was my connection to that record, anyways. But I remember. That's so cool. That is cool. Yeah, we got to get that. There's got to be this. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if either of you are wrestling fans, but there was a WWE show recently where they would try to find lost memorabilia of these famous wrestlers, and there's got to be something like that with with rock stars to find these lost amps or guitars or you know these things with history. Well, the problem is that that you know, and I'm sure it has been found, or I, mean, I don't know if it has been found, but you know, this is there's there's a lot of people on the forums all talking about this is like known stuff now. Not you know, it's it's a common knowledge for people who care about this stuff. But um, if the amp is around, then it's going to be priced out of you know affordability for anybody. You know? Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Including oh. myself. <laughs> <laughs> I know we can't keep you here forever, but what is the most the thing you're most looking forward to with the new record is it just for everyone to hear it as a specific song or getting out on the road so you can play for people what's the thing you're most looking forward to next yeah that's a tricky proposition getting it getting something like this out on the road and playing it for people because mm-hmm. uh getting out on the road is very a very complicated expensive proposition especially with you know the pandemic and everything so um you really got to have a, a a lot of popularity in your base to, and demand to, to make that happen. The only project I've done in recent years that would support that would be KXM uh, and maybe the end machine and the end machine did go out and do some shows and they were profitable and it, it worked, you know, but um, to, for something like this, it would require building a band, me going back, learning all this complicated material and going back out there and not playing Wicked Sensation or Dawkins songs, but playing this stuff. Now, how many people want to see that? Well, that's, is that going to fill, uh, what is that going to, casino, a, a, you know, a auditorium, a club? We'll, we'll, uh, if I'm playing small clubs, which I'm not willing to play, what are they going to pay me? Not enough willing for me to willing to go out there and do that. So, Right now, I'm you know doing bigger shows with Dokken and and my band Electric Freedom. I, I'm just going to keep doing that. But what the the backdoor way to answer this is the fact that I have this band now called uh, George Lynch's Electric Freedom versus Lynch Mob, a retired Lynch Mob, 
But what that allowed me to do is open up my my set list to just about anything. So what I can do is if this record does okay, and people are like, hey, you know, you know, I got people, you know, they're holding the signs, uh, sharks with laser beams, please, hello, <laughs> <laughs> play sharks, play sharks. I'm like, okay, well, you know, me and the band will learn sharks, and we'll play that. Awesome. I I was actually surprised to see you still on the road with Don because, you know, when you did that Japan run and when you did that South Dakota show that I was, you know, so happy to see the, the um, perception was that you guys were doing this and this was it because you just could not get along. And it seems like you guys are getting along at this point, which is awesome. There was no getting along problem. Uh, Getting along problems were back in the eighties, you know, there hadn't been anything like that. There was some stuff in the nineties too, when we reformed in 94, uh, but, uh, you know, since then, I mean, that's how many decades ago, I mean, that, that, none of that's true now. I mean, we were fine. Um, and so what I do is Don and I were doing shows where my band opened up and then, uh, doc, Don would come out and play with doc. And, and then I would come up for a few songs at the end of the night and do the, and, and, and play and, you know, the old kumbaya and everybody loved it. So, you know. It worked, and and then the uh, COVID shut us down, and then we're back out there doing doing. You know, we rebooked everything. We're back out there doing that again, and it works, and it's wonderful. Yeah, those got to be awesome shows. I, I'm wondering from your perspective too, what's it like seeing John Levin now with Doc and try to replicate those solos that you built? Well, he uh, John's wonderful, and we get along great, and uh, you know we share a backline every night, and he's very sweet and accommodating, and. And I respect his, I mean, he's a monster player. I mean, he's, he's playing my, sorry. That's all right. I think that that means we got to let you go in like a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah, we, we will. Uh, right. He's playing, he's playing my stuff more accurately than I could ever play it because, you know, I don't sit down and learn my solos note for note like I should. I try to do them within a certain amount of accuracy, with a certain amount of accuracy, but, you know, he's a machine. He's a, he can, so it's wonderful, you know, and it's fine. I don't care, but he's a very sweet guy. And, uh, you know, I mean, when I come out, he leaves the stage and, and I come out and I do my thing and, and everybody loves it. And that's, that's it. Everybody, you know, everybody wins, you know, it's a win-win all the way around. And he actually said this the other night we were playing it in Vegas. And he said, you know, it's just fucking so surreal for me to be sitting here with you in a room and playing your songs while you have to sit here listening to me play your songs when you're the guy, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's kind of weird for all of us. God, I keep getting this. Sean keeps calling in here. No, that's Sorry. all right. No, that's all right. I'll, I'll I'll apologize to Sean for keeping you uh, a few minutes late. It's it's my fault. I was I was too interested in that, but I I know we're keeping you too long. But seriously, thank you so much. Oh no, man, it was great. Thank you guys for having me. You got it, George. I hope we get to do this again. Yeah, we will. Awesome. Talk soon. All thank right. Bye bye. Okay. Bye. It's all right. I probably it's I think it's my fault. I, I think we had him for like twenty five. And oh, okay. we pushed it that. It's hard to, you know, there's so much history there, though. It's it's like uh, the amount of stuff I would have loved to have gotten into. It's like the Dream Warriors video. And uh, and also, you know what I would have loved to have, you know, I wanted to ask him about this. And maybe if we got a chance to do it another time, it's kind of interesting. If you read about the Dream Warriors video, uh, he's supposed to break through the wall 
but yeah. he kind of steps through the wall because he said he was so high at the time that he's like a baby. I've heard him in interviews say that like a baby should have been able to get through this, but I was so high I couldn't do it. <laughs> and then he got to the point where he uh, and he admitted this. He was like doing steroids and he, he got like bodybuilder huge. Yeah. And he was like, it affected my playing. It was the stupidest thing I ever did. And now he just looks very healthy. He, he looks great for a guy his age. He does look great. And uh, yeah, I can't help but sometimes talk about hair. You know, but it's, <laughs> it, it's I think it's the unspoken thing with men, you know, women uh, you see talking about getting breast implants, breast reduction, plastic surgery uh, with men. I think now and I spoke about this many, many episodes ago when I was jealous of Mike Squire's uh, hair. And just I got to be honest with mine that, uh, you know, it was like the time when I I had to finally I, I got to use a cane in my regular, you know, life. I already had leg braces. I got to get a cane and I'm losing my hair at the same time. So I was like, I don't know. I felt like I was dying. So I'm like, if I had a choice, I'm like, I can't fix my physical disability. Let me try to fix my hair. So I just tried to do that. All the regimens for so many years. Then it just got to a point where it was, it affects your, your personality. It really does. And then as soon as I shaved it, it's like, Oh my God, a weight was lifted. I got more girls with a shaved head than me trying to hide it. So it's just, yeah. So just shave it. And there are, I know he named a couple people. I don't know if that's known or whatever, uh, but there are other people also with guns and within guns and roses that I have strong belief that has, have had uh, more than one. So you don't have to just say, Oh, he's talking about this person uh, that have had hair transplants or something done. I absolutely uh, believe it. And you know what? It's okay. It is absolutely okay, especially, you know, I haven't posted it yet, uh, Ian. Maybe I'll send it to you. Someone sent me a TikTok video. I don't have TikTok. My fiance has TikTok. And it's just of a, you know, 20-year-old girl watching. It's uh, with, uh, I remember you in the background with Skid Row, from Skid Row. And it's basically, it shows Sebastian Bach then and now. It shows Axl Rose then and now. Joe Elliott then and now. All these rock stars that were, you know, very, very attractive in their 20s. And now that they're 50s and 60s, they're not to her. It's like, hey, hey, sister, let's see what you look like in 20, 30 years. All right. Like, I just I don't like it. It bothers me, you know, and I think that's why people like Eddie Van Halen is shy. Uh, Axl Rose is shy. We made demon as being an asshole, but there are assholes in the world who are just ready to make fun of you because you're famous. So uh, that was interesting to hear about that, about Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, I, I think with Eddie Van Halen, though, it was kind of the yin and the yang of Van Halen because you have David Lee Roth, who is by far the most outgoing guy in the world who yeah. never stops talking. You know, <laughs> if, you, if you listen to the latest uh, he, interview he did with Joe Rogan, I mean, it's just all over the place. They don't even talk about Eddie Van Halen. I think it's his first long form interview since the loss of Eddie Van Halen. And he talks about pretty much everything else. And yeah, I think it's I, I think from what George was saying, I wouldn't be surprised if that was him prior to the fame too. Um, you yeah. know, I know I've even read about that. He was so uh, when, you know, the way he played guitar, Eddie was so innovative for the time that he turned his back to the audience because he didn't want anybody kind of stealing his techniques and what he was doing. So I think he's always been a kind of a shy guy and David Lee Roth more than made up for that. And, and Sammy Hagar too, another extremely outgoing frontman. And I didn't want to mention it in the interview because I think it just would have taken he would his answer would have been too humble, and I just felt like I would, would want to ask it anyway. Especially since it's on Wikipedia, I don't know if you can believe that. 
that some people try to claim that that George invented the double tapping technique, but he is he has denied that um, in past interviews and like not Eddie he credits Eddie Van Halen for doing it. But it's very interesting that there are people who try to credit George and just and I think that's why I, I went over. It's not just there's so much to talk about. He's so nice and humble and, and jokey. I just feel like we could have had an easy, you know, hour, two hour conversation that would have went by quick. So, you know, um, given his demeanor, it sounds like we will get him on again. We'll ask about Dream Warriors. <laughs> we'll ask more about GNR, uh, of course. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you were able to get in some, uh, some docking questions and him and Don are, are okay. They're frolicking through the fields, holding hands, kind of. Yeah, and that that sounds good. It, it does, but and 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 it was also interesting to hear him give John Levin props. I don't think uh, I don't know, man. I mean, it would probably be. Could you imagine Slash being on stage watching DJ Ashba try to replicate what he did? It'd probably be weird. It would be weird. It would be weird. And I give George credit for that too, just to be able to be put in that position and him just being like a mentor. You know, in, in a situation under he just seems to get it. He really seems to get it. You know what? Maybe he's a he's a little too humble, but doesn't realize how great he is. But I think that's what makes him great. You know, it's it's very cool. And I, when he mentioned lyrics, I was like, oh shit! I mean, I did listen to the album, <laughs> and there were some songs I was like, I did. You know, I'm I'm sorry, I got a lot of stuff going on. I'm like, all right, I've listened to that three minutes of of this five minute song. I don't need to continue. I'm like, should I miss something? <laughs> it's joke. He's right though. He lyrics credited. I don't know how you, if it's spelled uh, uh, with a bunch of H's or <laughs> a bunch of A's, but whatever. You know, all, all the props and credit uh, in the world to him. Uh, I'm looking guess, really forward to hearing it. I really am because he is uh, incredible at what he does. And like Red Beach from Winger just put out a great soul album last year, and this seems like it'll be that type of caliber album. Yeah, it's it is really great, and it's it's awesome to see, you know, as he says, like the '80s guitar heroes. But I look at it more than just that, just to label him, still doing it, still doing aggressive music, and still out there. You know, it's just uh, it's great, and I'm glad to have him on the podcast. Somebody I've always wanted to speak to, and I'm glad you were able to do it. Yeah, Mr. I am too. I've, I I don't think I've ever spoken about Dawkins since you left. <laughs> I, I truly, I, I mean, I think they really are like one of the most underrated bands out there. And, and it goes to what I said during the interview. They wrote about very real things. They were not, you know, and, and I love all that fun music, but they were not poisoned doing nothing but a good time. They were writing about, like I said, about war and AIDS and drug addiction and, and very real topics. I guess, as George said, you got to credit Don for that. But then you also yeah. think about, would, uh, without Axel, would of Guns N' Roses have done, and they wouldn't have. Like Slash no. has never done Civil War, like on his own, something like that. Um, even the controversial, and I'll use it as an example. I'm sorry, One in a Million is a uh, is a take. It's not a. I don't believe it's a racist song the way people perceive it to be. I know people can be offended, and it's okay to be offended by those those words, but it's his. Characters, characterization of, of a racist of what he believes to be a racist and so I mean those those are hard lyrics that about serious subjects that you know Slash it's great that all the songs he uh, he puts out there uh, whether it was with the Velvet or now that he's going to put out an, another new Miles album uh, early next year first one on Gibson Gibson uh, has a new label but he's not putting out any cultural you know thought pieces 
And that's fine. That's totally fine. He doesn't have to. All he has to do is make uh, pinball machines. You see this, by the way? I got to get this. Yes. Print. That's awesome. I know. It's, it, it is awesome. I didn't think he would. Um, <laughs> I didn't expect anything. I thought when I went there, I'd get like maybe like a couple shirts. But yeah, when he pulled this out and then he, he signed a rock, uh, not Slash, but uh, Eric Munet, the, uh, the co-designer. But yeah, it has everybody on there, which is just cool. I got to get that frame now. That's uh, so good. I was going to say um, on the term of kind of merchandise, did you know uh, Miles Kennedy put out a signature microphone? No, I didn't. Yeah. I, so he was on Eddie Trunk and uh, Eddie complimented the way he sounded. And he was like, oh, yeah, this is my signature microphone. I'll send you one. So I'm kind of like curious to hear how like I, I almost I'm not even like a huge Miles Kennedy fan, but I kind of want to hear like how good this microphone is. I kind of want to pick it up. Maybe. Yeah. If Miles wants to spot, he said he had a great time on the podcast. Nice. I'll, I'll use Miles Mike for the podcast. I'll, I'll do that. I got Mike Squires with the theme song. I got. I can get, uh, you know, Miles Mike. I have my background made by various GNR people, Arian Bueller, uh, lithographs. And yeah, I just got to get this. I was hoping, <laughs> I, I was like, it might be a comedy moment because the poster behind me, uh, the pinball one, is just propped up. It can fall down any second. I thought it was going to fall on me and it was in a little totally <laughs> act during the, uh, the George Lynch uh, interview, but it didn't, it worked out. Uh, so anything, cause I know you've obviously you've been busy, uh, anything that you, you want to talk about? Cause then you're still doing battle line podcast, which is uh pretty cool. I get to see your, your buddy, Chris, uh, Tonto's uh, commercials about his, what was it? The sunglasses. Yeah. That, which has been like airing for years now, but it's always yeah. still always on. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm doing battle line podcast with Chris Peranto. Uh, it's, it's definitely been really fun. I mean, we've had, we've made, Peranto, you know what, you know, right. What you what do you say? Peranto. Sorry, I said Tonto, but that's his name. No, it's Chris. It's Chris Tonto Peranto. Tonto is the uh, call yeah. sign. Uh, uh, yeah, no, that's the, you got it right. Uh, so we, I was going to say we've had some of the same guests because we had like Dave Silvera on and stuff. However, just to be honest, when I look at the numbers, it's like that audience really wants to hear the special operations military guys. That's what we do. That's what really draws people in. So like last episode I had on um, Rob Furlong, who broke the record for longest sniper kill shot, which was a record held by Carlos Hathcock back in, you know, Vietnam days. So that like, that's what that audience really li likes to hear and loves to hear those stories. And yeah, it's been going really well. And then I have an, I have other, I have more, I'm doing podcasts also for narrative.fm, but I have another idea. I'm kind of like brainstorming for another podcast uh like sometime by the end of the year i think okay all right yeah you're busy and i i, I think i put it out there uh, not that i have more time to do anything especially working on slowly but surely doug goldstein's book but i still would love to do a horror podcast at some point i still like want to be i would love to see the, do like a horror podcast or because this one is like become a gnr slash mental health one so i've got a, a nice coverage of my my brain there but I just watch too many horror movies. People ask me, like, do you listen to podcasts? No, like unless I'm like kind of editing mine or maybe some random interviews. I, I will. You know, I always do. Yeah, I, I know you, you always have. <laughs> You're the one who got me into it. I, I love the whole medium. If you ever need a, a female voice for a horror uh, show, I, I, you know, I have the right person who does battle line. Debbie Rashawn, you know, she did Fangoria Radio with Dee Snyder when Ooh, I worked maybe. on that. Um, she's perfect for that. So wait, you're co-authoring a book? 
Uh, yeah, I want to say because it's going to be Doug's autobiography that I'm kind of ghostwriting it. Yeah, and that's been going on maybe early this year with Doug Goldstein. He he asked me because, you know, like with a lot of these rock stars, you're like, oh, so when are you putting a book out? So that and Doug would get that question. You know, I found out he, he tried to do it a few years ago with an author uh, from Rolling Stone or journalist rather from Rolling Stone, Italy. And it just never worked out. Schedules are difficult. They're even difficult with him and, and me now. But we've just like we're doing now for this episode, we've recorded a bunch of conversations, you know, about different topics. And I don't know, like seven, eight Zoom interviews, usually like two hours long, something like that. And um, I transcribe them. And I kind of just because, yeah, you want to capture his way of speaking, but you're also you're going to read it. So it's kind of kind of I got to shape it like that and uh, what chapters are going to make sense, where things need to fall. So that's kind of where we're at. We still have a lot to, to do. I know we, he initially, we really wanted to, and this will be a nice segue because I'm, um, I'm only a few days away from seeing Guns N' Roses from Guns N' Roses kicking off their tour. Which I'll hopefully be at. I, I haven't gotten tickets yet. but There's apparently plenty available. There are. So if you, um, so yeah, if I just, he wanted to, the book to come out when they were on tour but this was like during like covid and then all of a sudden we thought like there were going to be no concerts in in 2021 that's what that's how like a lot of people felt so like all right we'll get it out next year and they'll they'll tour in the spring maybe if we work really hard but yeah obviously we're not going to get it out in time for you know them to tour but at, at some point i think he would like to have them be out on the road and for him to do a book tour at the same time (laughs) <laughs> which I'm sure they would love for Doug Goldstein to do a, you know, be at the Barnes and Noble right down the road from where Guns N' Roses is playing. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what it's been at. And it was a fun conversation that I had. I spoke about this a little bit with the episode uh, when I had Rick Dunsford on uh, and speaking of, of episodes that people like to listen to. Yeah. Obviously George, George Lynch and all the interviews I, I do, it's the meat and potatoes. But when I have like Rick on, to talk about like the underbelly of, of GNR and some of the happenings, those numbers are, are more. It should goes to show you that I try to avoid like the sensationalistic in spite of myself. Like I can get better numbers if I did like the, uh, the guns roads dirt, but I, I don't do that. So that's why it's going to be interesting with the book. I don't want it to be like a, and it's not because a lot of it's about Doug's childhood and his per, uh, perspective on things. And there's a lot of things that he did even before he went to Guns N' Roses and his thoughts and philosophies on things. So um, it's going to be it's going to be cool. But but yeah, so anyway, I already had when they canceled. So when we were working on this book heavily and uh, we found little concerts were canceled, I had I don't know if you had tickets for Meadowlands when uh, no. Smashing Pumpkins were going to open. I held on to those. That's rescheduled for as we're recording this uh, next Thursday. Uh, but so I still have those. But I wanted to see a couple shows. I was recently on my kind of vacation when I went to, you know, Pinball Factory. I went to Chicago, you know, Chicago Airport. <laughs> I was in there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I wanted to, I'm trying to think, I wanted to see them in Wrigley when I was in Chicago. And when they reannounced the dates, they moved it to September because I happened to be in Chicago and I thought they were going to happen to be at Wrigley Field. I was like, oh, my. 
Uh, so my heart was broken when that that happened because I've never been to Wrigley Field. Yeah, so I thought that would have been a great you know first experience. Guns and Roses at Wrigley Field. Um, Fenway Park, I just can't do it with work because I'm like, you know what? I want to see another show. Like I got, I, I if I can drive to it, let's do it. Come visit so, me in Florida, man. Maybe <laughs> those tickets are actually really expensive because it's it's two shows, but they're at a very small venue. So yeah, well, I I looked into Atlantic City, which obviously I can drive to, but that's a small venue. So like the handicap seats were like three hundred bucks. I can't do that. So I'm like, you know what? Pennsylvania, Hershey Park. It's on a Saturday. We could spend a weekend there. Let's do it. So that's what that's what we're doing. That's the kickoff show. So it's gonna be uh. It's going to be fun. And maybe I'll ask you because you looked at the tickets and I, I've seen these kind of I don't know if it's just Guns N' Roses. It could be other acts, too, because like I've seen it with the Black Crows when people put out the, the seating chart that it's not selling very well. Yeah. And I don't want to say now that's a Guns N' Roses problem. I don't I, think it is. I think I it's because of COVID because I've looked at other shows, you know, small venue shows for certain bands are selling out quick, like. Uh, actually, Limp Biscuit is playing by us in the, at the Paramount. That yeah. sold out like immediately. The floor, and I and I got a ticket. I don't know if I'm going to resell because they're going pretty high now. Um, but that's a small venue show. But I've looked at arena shows. So even things like John Mayer is going on tour, and I noticed pretty much you can get a seat anywhere, and they're not even that expensive. Um, yeah, there's there's a. I looked at some others too. I, I can't think of them off the top of my head, but. Seats are a lot less expensive and there's just a lot more available. I think there's still some hesitancy. Um, you know, there, there's also probably people who are not doing well financially because of COVID and, and they don't have the discretion, disposable, disposable income to just go to shows. I agree with that. That's why I was, look, I, I know the supply and demand and, and perhaps I'm the fool for, for buying these, uh, the Pennsylvania tickets when they, as soon as they went on sale, because I think they've gone down. But I think that needs to be taken into account by all these acts. I know they're also not that like Axel Rose is hurting, but I know that he cares about his his crew, his team. They need to be paid as well. So it's I don't know. I'm I, maybe I don't want to give an, a you know a strong opinion because I'm not on the inside and the finances. But I think all of that needs to be taken into account. You're right. Is the finances of people? I I, I don't know how many concerts I want to go to. I, I want to see Guns N' Roses. Um, if I wasn't, I wouldn't go on vacation if it wasn't for my fiance. So it's not like I have a lot of expenses for me personally, uh, but that's what I wanted to spend it on. I, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to spend it much more than that. I know as this year goes on. But yeah, I remember I, I looked, yeah. I looked at a uh, corn and stained actually, cause I'm thinking of that now they're having the same thing. There's a ton of tickets available, really not that expensive, um, so it, it's definitely, it, it's a down the line thing right now that, yeah, it's, and, and that's, and they end up just lowering the prices. There's also like deals going on that you can get tickets to show, I think corn. And then there's also that kiss tour and they're, they're having seats for like $20, you know, the granted not good seats, but yeah, I, I think they're having trouble moving a lot of these shows. So I don't think it's exclusive to GNR. And I think, you know, if those seats don't sell, which they're really not, day of show, I wouldn't be surprised if you're able to be on the floor for less than $100, all things you know, factored in. That's what I was going to ask, and I'm curious about what's going to happen day of show. And you see this in sports, you know, moving people down, a certain uh, box office deals if you show up. So I'm hoping 
because I I couldn't get the the handicap seats for um for Hershey Hershey Park uh, Hershey Park Stadium I believe it's called were sold out. So believe it or not, so I guess there's there's more uh, more handicap Guns N' Roses fans. Where are you at? But there's there's know. not a whole <laughs> there's not a whole lot of handicap seats though in general, right? I mean it's it's that's a quick sellout. It can be. I mean it can. It just depends on the arena because what they do a lot of times is that they might not have actual seating. It's just kind of like a by the railing that's kind of marked off where you could put like if you're in a wheelchair and then they'll take out a fold out chair with their their companion, you know, which, you know, I'll do that. I, I, I'll be honest. I use a wheelchair in the uh, the airport. It's just too long. And it's it was easier for my fiance because she was carrying everything. She's like, <laughs> just go in a wheelchair. I'll put stuff on top of you and we'll, let's go. You know, <laughs> did uh, I? Did like, D. Snyder okay. tell you the handicapped uh, section story when he was on with you? No, but I will have to ask that because I don't know about that story. You, you could look it up. It apparently happened to him twice. It happened to him once like before I was working with him. And then I think it happened more recently during like a song like We're Not Gonna Take It. He tells the whole crowd to stand up. And he's like, what the fuck's wrong with this section over here? How come the, all of you are sitting down? And someone had to like tap him on the shoulder and be like, D, that's the handicap section. <laughs> Oh my God. I have, <laughs> I have to, I have to, when I'm assuming I'll get him on again. Uh, I never want to assume. I hope to get him on again. Uh, yeah. I got to talk to him about that because that's just funny. I'm not offended by that. That's just, of course. Funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So maybe with the, the lack of seats, I can move my way down. I don't know. Uh, that'll be interesting because like having a cane, sometimes it's just like, <laughs> it's like being a hot girl. <laughs> Honestly, that's I believe being like, like being like maybe young, uh, because and because old people with a cane, people see it. I mean, they're they're nice to old people with a cane, but with me, they think, I mean, yeah, there are things wrong with me, but they think maybe more things are wrong with me. So, like being a hot girl, just like opening <laughs> doors, overly polite. Do you need anything? I'll go get you this. I'm like, oh, sure, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. So, uh, we'll see. But I'm I'm gonna post uh, pictures and and tweet a lot. We'll see how many videos um, I take. Um, I don't know. Cause I, I find myself singing along and no one wants to hear that. Like, I, I don't want to sit there with a camera taping a song that'll probably, probably be taken down anyway. Uh, and then I, <laughs> that's see that we were talking about this off the air, Ian, what was the last concert I was at, uh, what we were at before. Uh, so I've said this before I was in Austin city limits, GNR played just the first day. Uh, my last day, last band, technically the last band I saw prior to GNR uh, was uh, Mumford and Sons. But anyway, with GNR, yeah, I'm I'm videotaping it and I'm doing live streams and I listen back to it after the concert and I'm just singing along. I think you could hear me. I'm just like, it's always I'm like, oh, God. I just I sound like a, a ferret being stepped on. Thankfully, there were like a laugh emojis on there. Just very embarrassing, and people would seem to, you know, they appreciated my passion. So uh, I'm going to enjoy the songs, but I'll, I'll take plenty of pictures and, and tweet. And I hope to see you there, man. If you have, if you have time, you know, uh, come down. Uh, yeah, I, I, I wasn't planning on it because of this Florida move, and and then also this price of tickets. But now they're going down, and I and I, you know, moving August twentieth. I okay. yeah, I. I I could probably, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can go. Our, our friend Jay is also like, oh, I have uh, and I, who listens to the show. He was like, I have an extra ticket, man. So I don't know. I, I'll, I'll 
I'll possibly be there. I, and, you know, I know the big discussion has been like, oh, what do you expect to see? And I don't think I think the mystique of of GNR of, oh, they're going to pull out this old song, which, you know, they used to do, I think, prior to the reunion more. I, I think we're seeing less of that. I think it's going to be very similar to the last tour. And that's fine. Yeah, that's that's fine for a lot of people. And it's not fine for the, like, the diehards who want something new. In general, I just want to enjoy, you know, I know I'm going to enjoy the show. I never thought I would see Axel and Slash on stage ever together, uh, on stage together again, ever. So I'm, I'm happy. You know, would I like to see some different things, some songs I've never heard live, obviously new material? Of course I would, but I'm not going to not have a good time because of that. But how do I, I, I got to ask this before we, you know, kind of wrap up with Florida. What's, what's going on? Where are you moving? I, I came close to moving to Florida once. Uh, West Palm Beach, I worked on a short, oh, nice. uh, a very short-lived radio station that was owned by a Long Island company. Uh, and, and some people, you mentioned Jay, a listener, who we, we met when we went to uh, MetLife Stadium, who looks like, what was it, like Otto from The Simpsons? <laughs> yeah. Right? I remember. So I still have a listener of this podcast, who, uh, Tough Duff, who has been uh, following me around since that uh, short-lived radio station where I would play Guns N' Roses into new music. Man, I was the best program director for six months ever, but just a run by a shitty, a shitty company. Uh, so I, I hope to see, I know I want to see you there. I want to see Duff there. So I almost moved to West Palm Beach. So that ended up company ended up fucking me over. I never moved down there. I guess ran a West Palm Beach radio station from, oh, wow. from Ronkonkoma, Long Island for, like like six months or a year or whatever there's a lot of that now though i, I like know. when i when i've traveled during this past year like when i went to um arizona i listen i turned on the local rock station you could tell that there's no one there it's just song after song going into a you know sweepers and going into another song there's no dj there's nothing yep. local yeah it's more yeah. and more common i noticed that too also in arizona where did you go in uh I was in Scottsdale. Um, okay. I was thinking of moving there at one point. I mean, everything I, I've just been thinking of moving out of New York, but yeah, no, I'm going to be in um, Boynton beach just for nine months. And then I might possibly come back. Um, but as you know, like prices here are crazy. Why nine Things months? Are you pregnant? You just want to have anything down? <laughs> That's the nine month lease, but I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be back regularly. So. Okay. Well, you're, you're doing our stereotypical retiring to, uh, to florida and no, i'll be, I'll be back though i'll be back <laughs> that's cool do as much as you, you can in florida i mean it's yeah. so many different places uh, parts of florida that's where i got to see velvet revolver was in west palm beach uh unrelated uh, and it was fun it was like typical florida hot ass day then the middle of the show torrential downpour then you're just like <laughs> hot and sweaty and wet the rest of the day and but it was a great concert uh nice. regardless but I'm sure whether it's Guns N' Roses this weekend, we'll we'll end up catching a show together at some point. Um, and, and and if not, I'll I'll see you when you get back from Florida. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll be. But like I said, I'll be back regularly. Um, yeah, and and it's only a nine month lease, so. Okay, right on. Well, thank you, my dear Ian, for joining me again on this podcast that we created. I've just yeah. I've just led it to a place. <laughs> it's frightening. It is very frightening. So that does it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. When's the next time you're going to see Ian? When's the next episode? Uh, who is the next guest going to be? 
Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it, I don't know, as soon as the word. security, I'm going home.